The Justin Robert Young program brought to you as always by everybody who supports us at payjurydaily.com. Welcome, everybody, to yet another edition of the Justin Robert Young Podcast, a.k.a. The Jury Show. Marvel Week has come to an end game this Thursday. Talked about how I got into Marvel Comics on Monday. My obsession with comic cards on Tuesday. Uh, the, what was it? Cartoons. We talked about X-Men. The, the X-Men, the animated series. On Wednesday and today, we pay homage to the reason why we started this theme to begin with. Quite possibly the greatest gamble in movie history has a victory lap tonight. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, quite uh, reasonably the most successful movie franchise of all time by dollars by critical acclaim, by cultural relevance. I will say that it is bigger than Star Wars. It is bigger and badder than James Bond, which has uh, a ton of movies and has spanned uh, the, 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 the test of time. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has for over 10 years delivered blockbuster entertainment at a rate and of such a quality that the world had never seen before. But before we totally blow the MCU, let, let's also pay uh, our respects to some of the real ones that came before it. I mentioned yesterday that the best comic book movie, the one that really was the portent that let us know that there was a brighter future ahead, was Blade. Blade was a, a, a very credible action movie with a credible action star in Wesley Snipes, and it used the elements of the comic to its advantage. Blade's a cool character. You add some techno. Steven Dorff's a creepy vampire. Better bing, bang, boom. But more importantly, it was not a comic book movie for kids. It understood that there were complex themes and emotions and story points that could be leveraged for an adult audience. But to me, the moment that comic book movies decided that they were not going to just be content to be toy commercials, although they certainly are those as well, was X-Men in the year 2000. This is a movie that begins, the opening scene is Magneto the villain being torn away from his family in Auschwitz. He reacts so uh, violently that he tears down the infamous, uh, uh, you know, wrought iron gates because he has magnetic powers. 
That was the moment that everything changed, in my opinion. That was the moment where, you know, even something like Batman was was began as kind of a, a campier. It was more of an homage to the television show. Even Burton's, to a certain extent, was more of an homage to the television show than it was to the comics. This was comics. This was uh, uh, the 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 key threads that kept people fascinated with these characters throughout many different versions of their lives, many different eras of themselves. So then we get X2, which is definitely better than X-Men. And the debate then at that point was, well, what is the best comic book movie of all time? For a while, in my opinion, it was X2. And then it was Spider-Man 2. For whatever reason, comic books, uh, comic book movies got better in the sequels. But then there is a moment that I will never forget. In fact, I will challenge you guys to answer this same question. Where were you when Robert Downey Jr. got cast as Tony Stark. Where were you? I remember exactly where I was when I found out. I was still living in Hoboken. And I was so excited that I literally had to knock on my my roommate's door to tell him. <laughs> I was so pumped. And we had just watched Wonder Boys. This was on Robert Downey Jr.'s comeback tour. I think also Kiss Kiss Bang Bang had come out around the same time. But he was definitely still Robert Downey Jr. You loved Robert Downey Jr. And immediately all you could think of was, man, they're going to do a great Demon in a Bottle story. They're going to do a great Demon in a Bottle movie. If Robert Downey Jr., because you felt like that dude was Iron Man. He's so fit, like even from the casting description. And then the movie comes out and it's great. You know, there had been some misfires up till then. Ang Lee's Hulk is, you know, a bit weird. It also began to get into the like, oh, it's a comic book movie. That's why it should have comic book panels. Eh. Eric Ban is fine, but ultimately the Hulk dogs just did not exactly leverage some of the fun that you can have with that character. And that ultimately, I think, was the lesson that the Marvel Cinematic Universe understood. And Kevin Feige, the executive producer who has made it all happen, has basically said, how did he know how to make great fan favorite, commercially viable and successful Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? Because not unlike Doctor Strange in Infinity War, who goes and uh, searches through 9,099 different universes where things fail, Kevin Feige was working for Marvel as the guy looking over all these garbage scripts that would be made. And he would be saying, oh, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're inventing this character. Why don't you just do the thing from the comics? 
That's cool. People like that. Just do more of that. And fairly quickly, Marvel learned from their mistakes. You know, they were working with Paramount initially. Then Disney buys them. So now they get brought under their own umbrella in, uh, with, with Disney. And lo and behold, they're a money factory. There's not a movie that Marvel can put out now, and they do two, sometimes three a year, that isn't just an absolute factory for cash. I'm very excited for Endgame tonight because, by all accounts, it will be a capper. It will be a moment in which Marvel faces its true greatest foe. It's not Thanos. It's whether or not Marvel can translate to a movie franchise something that Marvel the comics have done many, 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 many times. Reboot. Readapt, change. Because there's a risk, a tremendous risk at doing a movie like this because, you know, if, if a lot of these actors don't return to these roles, as has been long rumored, this is a natural end point for audiences. They can say, look, I, I I always used to go to the Marvel movies, you know, back when they used to have the guys I liked. So who are the new guys? What do they have in store? Or maybe, or maybe, Marvel will do what so many comics have done. And just when you think our heroes are at their end, They'll find a way to stick around. News! Americans are lying about their vacations. This according to a new study by a flight comparison site jet cost travelers in the united states have cited being embarrassed the desire to seem well traveled and the hope of impressing somebody as their main reason for lying about their vacations 14 percent of us do it in addition two-thirds of the over 4,000 americans surveyed have also lied about their experiences with weather quality of accommodations and amount of sightseeing done are the common fibs. The study found that 27% of respondents have traveled internationally with 61% admitting they exaggerated the truth about their vacations. Weather conditions topped the list at 34%. Quality of accommodations was second at 29 and the amount of sightseeing was third at 27. Quote a jet cost spokesperson, even though it's probably more common than not in the United States to have holidayed abroad, Americans are still clearly feeling the need to appear as if they are uh, well-traveled. 
With the modern pressures of social media, people feel as if they need to prove themselves to others, which is a shame. Life isn't a competition, and just because somebody says they've done something doesn't mean you're less of a person for not having done it. Well, thank you, sage wise wisdom from Jet Cost spokesperson. Travelers from the United States also lied about the amount of alcohol they consumed, 23%, and how much money they spent, 21%. Another 68% said they told somebody that they enjoyed their vacation more than they did, and 52% revealed that they wouldn't tell anyone if their trip was a total disaster. But here's the most surprising finding. According to JetCost, 10% of respondents admitted to posting a fake picture on social media to reinforce their lies. To reinforce their lies. So if you say, oh my God, having a great day here in, I don't know, the, the French Riviera. And then you post a picture that you found on Google and act like you literally just took it? Mm, that's interesting. Has any of have any one of y'all done this? Email me. Email me. Speaking of emails. You can always send us an email at jurydaily at gmail.com. Again, jurydaily at gmail.com. Cappy writes, OMG jury, yes! That was my jam, comic cards were, when I was little. I truly believe that it made my worldview what it is today when it comes to the racial-cultural divide. Oh, no, sorry. This was the X-Men uh, animated series. My funny story about it is this. My mother sat down with me to watch a few ex, uh, episodes of X-Men. That same week, my parents took me to one of the largest Central Florida churches and had the pastor exercise the demons that the show put into me, holy water and all. He then proceeded with a 10-minute-long prayer and told my parents that one day I would become a pastor. If it helps, I'm a white agnostic atheist. <laughs> Rick writes, I'm a day or so behind this week, but I've been thrilled to listen to you talk about nostalgic high points of my youth. I, too, had a one, the wonderful Marvel cards and collected the Fleer Ultra line myself. They are sadly gone, except for my prized card that I've kept all these years in a hard case. A total badass holofoil Spider-Man. I still love it. The greatest aspect of the cards for me was filling the gaps in my Marvel knowledge as a kid. The short write-ups on the back fleshed out the varying character rosters for me and explained the many relationships between the different characters. I also learned about the various incarnations of characters in this way as well. This was important as my family didn't have the disposable income for me to spend on comics or to be able to drive the long distance to the nearest shop. But the cards were readily available. Most places in my area had them and they were at a low cost. The cards helped me make a case to my folks for my first big graphic novel collection purchase, Spider-Man, the saga of the alien costume. I've probably read that book 500 times throughout the years. I still have it, and it's my favorite graphic novel collection that I've purchased over the years. It's dog-eared, frayed, and beloved. 
I still pull it out for vacations when I know I'll have some time to to read and want a break between whatever sci-fi fantasy series I'm chewing on. I don't expect you to uh, read this because of the length. Ha <laughs> ha, got your ass, I said uh, editorially. But I wanted to let you know that I'm really enjoying listening to you this week, and I can't wait to hear about the cartoons, which were favorites of mine. Shitty animation at all. And finally, Chad writes, Hey, Jury, noting that you're discussing uh, to date has raised more nostalgia in me than talking about comic cards. I did read comics as a kid, but those cards were something else, something special. As you continue describing these wonderful pieces of our mutual childhood, I then felt a sense of intense jealousy as I did not end up getting that hologram Spider-Man and Venom card. Sure, I had other holograms from other sets, but not that one. Props to you and your childhood. Good luck, sir. A friend of mine recently split the cost of a box of packs of Series 4 from eBay, but we didn't manage to find that wonderful Spidey versus Venom hologram. Maybe next time. Mm. Well, if you ever want to drift away into a different state of mind, well, maybe you, too, friend, can have one of these. How do you define a dildo? Is a penis just a living dildo? A bee, genie. A should also celebrate two days after 420 because then it's 4 next year in april will be 420 the whole month i'm going to eat so many chips April is a long ass Thursday. The bike lane just now was the safest I've ever felt while still experiencing If you eat a Ritz cracker immediately after brushing your teeth, it kind of tastes 
like, like, like a, 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 a thin, thin, thin mint, 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 mint cookie. Those were high thoughts. And that about wraps it up for this week of shows. I want to thank our producers, The Gen, PD Rave, Non-Specific, Rock and Roll Martian, Joe Acosta, Will, James, the OG Brito, Will, the Webby Award-winning OG Brito, Will, Chris, Bill, Dustin, BioCal, Robert H., Brian C., M., Trey, the Melodic Man, Adam, Middle Age, Mike, and Harry Lee Smith. Remember, friends, you're going to go ahead and email me, jurydaily at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, at Justin R. Young. Join our Discord at bit.ly slash jurydiscord. It's where we pick all of our jury stories from. Thank you to another Jay Martin for lying about his vacation to us. Friends, that is it for me this week. I will see you Monday. Until then, though, remember, please give a round of applause to Mr. Wacky, but more importantly, Please. Don't. Do you like how your hair gets cut? Do you like when your friends fuck up? Don't you think you have had enough? Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>